0: Indie Podcast, where we talk to and about people who are inspired by Star Trek and science fiction to work towards a hopeful future in the real world. Today, I'm here with Dr. Leah Leach to talk about the legacy of Nichelle Nichols. Leah, tell us a little about yourself.
1: I am Dr. Leah Leach. I am the executive director of the Gals Guide Library, which is located in Noblesville, Indiana. We are the first women's history lending library in the country. We didn't plan on being the first, but we're somehow the first. Um, and I am a NASA nut. I absolutely love history and I love anything to do with NASA.
0: <laughs> and you've got more than that in your background, too. You've got filmmaker and you've I got, do. you founded this library. Yeah. And, so talk for just a second about what made you found a women's history library.
1: Ugh. Well, it's ironic because we're on a podcast, because it was a podcast. Mm. Um, so... I was doing filmmaking and I was pretty much a lot of times the only woman in the room Um, and I was making films about strong female characters. I have two daughters and they were very little when I started filmmaking. So I was making movies for them that they could watch at some point when they grew up and they were, you know, it could understand more of uh, what mommy did when she went away sort of thing. So um, as I was doing that, I was really hitting a lot of barriers with being a female director. Not a director, a female... Female director. So I started like, okay, fine, let me learn about my sister directors. And as I started learning more about women's history, I really felt this connection of here's a foundation of stories that I can build on. I can see what they overcame with far more obstacles than I have currently, um, like not being able to vote, not being able to get a credit card, not being able to have a high paying job, or job. Um, and I have those abilities, but yet I'm still hitting this glass ceiling. So I started digging more and more into women's history. And that led to a podcast. Uh, the podcast was called Your Gal Friday, and it was a student friendly show about women of history. Um, and as we're doing this show, We're running into dead ends. There's books that are out of print. There are stories that we can't find. There are letters that have been burned um, that nobody was keeping this history of these amazing women. Um, So I turned to my friends and I said, is it crazy to start a library to like save these books and share these books? And I think collectively we all said, yes, it's crazy, but let's do it anyway.
0: (laughs) That is perhaps one of my... Personal favorite approaches to the world. (laughs) Right. Hence Starbase Indy. Yes. Um, It's crazy, but let's do it anyway. Crazy, (laughs) let's do it anyway. It's fun, it's worth it. And there is very Mm -hmm. little greater joy in the world than doing something hard with people who are interesting.
1: Absolutely. And having people show up going, you know what? This is unique and different, and I'm all about it right now. So, yes, it's great. (laughs)
0: Yes. So you have presented about, speaking of amazing women in history. Yes. You have talked about Nichelle Nichols and Uhura at Starbase Indy for five years now?
1: I think so. Yeah. Let's go with that. I'm
0: I'm bad with numbers and math.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love NASA. Bad with math. Dyslexic. (laughs) Not not one of the hidden figures. I am not Uh, one of the hidden figures. I I bow down to them because somebody needs to have that skill because I do not. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no kidding with you there um
0: and so the Ohura training academy yes. let's talk about that for just a second yeah
1: so uh we as uh gals guide library we always want to help out starbase indy um for the longest time we didn't have a lot of funds but what we had was passion and time so uh we developed a program where luckily starbase indy let us kidnap a room <laughs> and in that room we program the O'Hara training academy the idea behind it is what if ohura had a classroom what would she teach and so we looked at the skills that the fictional O'Hara had of communication history navigation she also was a bit of a performer when you know she got to perform on the show every now and again um and so we wanted to focus on those aspects as part of the class um with a really strong focus on women of color Uh, So we bring to the table different programming that has to do with science, that has to do, well, has to do with anything with STEM. So science, engineering, technology, and math, um, but with a women of color focus to it. So we have talked about the hidden figures, and we have talked a lot about Nichelle as the person. um, Because separating the character from the person is wonderful, but there's a lot of kind of crossover, you know what I mean, Ness, which is Which is lovely to have that kind of crossover
0: great. Well, let's let's talk about Nichelle Nichols a little bit. Yay! So, tell me a little bit about how she got connected with Star Trek, and what influence did she have on the creation of her character? Well,
1: she moved to Los Angeles in 1960. She is a Chicago girl. Yay, Midwest. Um, I know, right? Exactly. So, she moved to L.A. to do more television work. Um, she was doing a lot of stage performance work before that. Um, she met Gene Roddenberry on the set of The Lieutenant, where where Nichelle actually had a very, a really meaty role. It was a very dramatic, um, intense role on the lieutenant. And she really appreciated that work environment. And she also very much appreciated Gene, thought he was really cool to work with. Um, so, After a while, she went back to theater. She was actually in Paris at the time when she got a call from Jean saying, I'm working on a new show. I need you to come to L.A. and audition. And she's like, but I'm doing this show. And I really like this show. (laughs) And he's like, get your butt down here. So she... She probably didn't say that, but that was in her, uh, in her biography beyond O'Hara, It was kind of like, well, I guess I need to get down there. So she goes to this audition. Um, she shows up and she doesn't have any pre-script that they have given her. She walks into the room and they want her to read this Spock character. And she has lots of questions. You know what I mean? Like, so who is this Spock <laughs> and they're like this character has already been cast but we want you to read because we want you in the show but we don't have pages for you to read for a female character i mean did i talk about that glass ceiling before mm-hmm. <laughs> right so she read for spock and they're like okay well that's great that's you know thanks for doing that and she had more questions what is this spock character uh and they really were like honey We'll write you a character. What do you want your character's name to be? Um, and she was reading a book called Uhuru, which is a African treatise on dysphoria. And she's like, how about we feminize this and make it Uhura? So she actually named her own character based on the book that she was reading in the waiting room of the audition. Um, and then going forward, because there was no nothing but a name for this character... Um, She had lots of meetings with Jean about what the character could be, what the character could do, um, how the character could represent herself and the future and that sort of thing. Um, A lot of them didn't come to be, though. Lots more talking and not as much on the page screenwriting, unfortunately, though.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean she was making T V history and we'll talk about that more in a minute. Yeah. But she didn't always love her role. What 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 were some of her concerns about the way Uhura was written in the show? Right. It was I
1: think a lot of it was promises. There was a lot of promises about what her character could be, but TV, TV is a mean animal. I mean, I come with this from a filmmaking background, uh, having studied a little bit of TV. But at the same time, you're looking at like a 13 to 17 minute show. And you have a whole band of characters. And two of them, Spock and Kirk, need a lot of screen time. (laughs) So it becomes, you know, the low end of the totem pole. So you get that episode every now and again, um, like Plato's children that Ohura had. Um, I can't remember the name. What's the name of the episode where she has the knife? Do you know? Oh, goodness. I know. Exactly. You can totally even cut this out, too. But yes. But then there's the episode with the knife. (laughs) Where she kind of gets brainwashed and she's kind of like evil Ohura. Uh,
0: mirror Universe. It's oh. Mirror Mirror.
1: Right. Mirror Mirror. There we go. So Mirror Mirror, the one where she has... where She's kind of like the bad Ohura sort of thing with the knife and she's trying to... So those kind of characters she got, um, I don't think those were in the vision that her and Jean were necessarily talking about. Yeah, that so... Mirror
0: Universe episode, they... Changed her costume and pretty dramatically. Yes. Changed the the vibe of the whole show. Right, but more even than the male characters, her you know parts of her costume went away in the mirror universe. Right.
1: right, exactly. Yeah, and I don't think she got to sing as much as she wanted to. She got to sing like you know <laughs> once or twice, but she has a very good singing voice. She's actually had a couple of albums, believe it or not. I think most people don't know she had albums.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> uh, but I think it was also. She got a lot of fan mail, but she didn't know it. Her fan mail in her autobiography, she said, was being kept from her because a certain Star Trek member was perhaps a little jealous that Ohura got more fan mail than a certain captain. So she didn't really feel loved while she was doing the show. It wasn't until like way later that they actually started giving her her mail. Wow. Okay. So if you have a limited role, lots of promises, and you're not getting feedback from an audience, from a stage performer that loves feedback. You start to become kind of unhappy with your role.
0: <laughs> and and so she sort of famously even resigned after the first season, right? Tell that story. Yeah. It's one of my favorite Star oh, Trek stories.
1: So it's one of my favorite stories, too. And I will definitely say that I will try to do this as much justice as I can. But at the same time, go to YouTube, listen to Nichelle tell this story. She tells it the best. But um, she was, you know she was in the chair. Uh, She was doing her thing. She was getting less and less lines. And she got a nice Broadway offering to go back to stage. And so she turned in her resignation to Jean. Um, It was a Friday night. And she's like, look, I've got this great Broadway performance that I want to go do. I'm going to resign. Here's my two weeks. Jean said, can you think about it over the weekend? I'm going to put your resignation in the drawer. Just think about it over the weekend. Uh, so over the weekend, she went to an NAACP event um, where she's there giving a you know, presentation. She's at the table, and somebody comes to her and says, Nichelle, your biggest fan is here and wants to meet you. And she's like, Oh good. A Trekker. She called them Mm (laughs) Trekkers. I think she still calls them Trekkers. She will call them Trekkies, but you know, still Trekkers like great. A Trekker. Uh, She's in picturing somebody, let's just say way different than Martin Luther King Jr. (laughs) So Martin Luther King Jr. comes to her and says, Miss Nichols, I am your biggest fan. And he just gushes over the show and of her. And he says, It's the only show we will let the children stay up late and watch. And she's like, Well, that's so great. I'm leaving the show. <laughs> <laughs> And he says, uh, you can't leave the show. You are so important to the show. That role is not a black role. It could be replaced by an alien. It could be replaced by anybody.
0: It could be replaced by a white man.
1: It could And so the idea that a black woman is in that chair as a communications director (laughs) is so important to the movement that Martin Luther King Jr. was fighting for and for people to see a person of color on their television. It was so monumentally important for her to just be in that chair.
0: Um, So she went back (laughs) to Jean's office. Like you do when Martin Luther King Jr. tells you to do something, Mm -hmm. you do it. Exactly.
1: I mean, he had a good point. (laughs) He
0: did have a good point. And, you know, it's been more than 50 years since the series aired at this point. So I think a lot of our younger listeners or our younger audience might not really grok, if you will, how subversive her presence and really Mm -hmm. a lot of that uh, original series Is. Oh, yeah. So, talk a little bit about that, about what a big deal it was.
1: It was a very big deal. My favorite story is Whoopi Goldberg's story. So, when Whoopi Goldberg was a kid, she turned on her television and started screaming, Oh my God, there's a black lady on TV, and she's not a maid. (laughs) <laughs> it changed Whoopi's life. And Whoopi is one example of the many Black children who were like, oh my gosh. But you add to that, that you had an Asian American, you know, on the show as well. I mean, we will say we've seen a few Scotsmen <laughs> on TV shows, but to see such a diversity on the bridge with a job, with a responsibility, working together as a crew, it was
0: wonderful to see this kind of rainbow bridge, if you will. <laughs> well, and, and if we look back at the sort of the world context when this show was being cast and being shot, yeah. you know, we've got an, a, a, an Asian character and a Russian character, yeah. and a black character. Yeah. We're not that far past World War II at this point. Right. We're, exactly. We're certainly not past the civil rights movement. We're kind of in the heat of it. Yes, absolutely. And so this was just this idea that people who in the current world that existed yeah. were Really at odds with each other and mm-hmm. at war literally. Yeah. But They've decided that instead of being at war on Earth, we're going to go build a spaceship and explore the universe. And work together. And work together.
1: And try to learn about each other, too. That was something that was always very interesting to me, um, especially in the original episodes, was going to other uh, planets and learning about the people and the civilizations that were there. I mean, yes, they had phasers, but (laughs) they were still on a discovery mission um, to see how much in common we really had. And I loved that.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned Whoopi Goldberg being inspired, but the other, my favorite inspiration story is probably Mae Jemison. I was
1: going to say, yes, Mae Jemison is amazing. Do you want to tell that story?
0: Um, So, yeah, the Mae Jemison story, where she was the first African American female in space and Mm -hmm. was inspired by Star Trek. She's also been on Star Trek episodes. It's kind of both. And um, there are so many scientists. Who are inspired by this vision of the Mm -hmm. world and discovery and being interested in how the universe works. Yeah.
1: Did you hear how uh, she would open her daily log?
0: Oh, right. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She would actually, when she would go up and when it was her time on the mic, she would say, healing frequencies are open, Captain. (laughs) It's a wonderful little nod. It's just, and the two of them have actually been on panels together. They're both Chicago girls. And so they were at a Chicago convention, Mae Jemison and Nichelle. Like can, my head explodes with the idea of the mm-hmm. energy of those two being in the same space. It's just absolutely, um, it's amazing. It's life changing. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: And and uh, I'm going to go out of order in my questions. You're here. totally fine. You get the, to do that. Yes. The, you're talking about <laughs> convention panels. Yeah, Nichelle Nichols was at a, has been at a lot of conventions. She was at the very yes. first Star Trek convention. Yep, um, I met her when she was in Indianapolis at Gen Con for the release of Star Trek: Catan in 2012. Ooh, nice! Um, we had her at Starbase. We actually had her at oh. Starbase Cindy in 1991. Oh, look at that! Nice. Um, Long before I had any idea what Tarascony was, right? So exactly, but in the before is, times, in, in the in the really before <laughs> times, the before the before times,
1: right? Exactly, we did
0: have her. Oh, that's as amazing! A guest.
1: That.
0: She really liked gatherings like this. Yeah, she did, and saw them as part of that process of changing the world. Yeah.
1: I have a great quote from her from Beyond O'Hara. She talked about she went to her very first convention in 1970. So that was the first one that she went to. She says, quote, I attended that first convention in 1970 and never planned to stop. Well, I mean, end quote, we know that she is retiring now. The girl gets to retire.
0: (laughs) Sure. I mean, it's been 52 years.
1: It has. You know what I mean? And you get to relax. You know what I mean? It's like, totally. (laughs) But she said, quote, the Trek conventions are unlike any other fan gathering, perhaps because a Trekker is unlike any other fan in the world. One would be hard pressed to find such a large group of intelligent, sensitive and aware people. So how about that, right? Because I feel like she's totally talking about Starbase
0: (laughs) Indy. I mean, that's what I fell in love with when I showed up at the convention the first time. So yeah, yeah, I think that's what a lot of us are, why we do this and Mm -hmm. why we come every year and are excited about it.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So she she said it so perfectly. I wanted to make sure I quoted
0: her. Yes, it's an excellent (laughs) quote. The other big piece of history that people know her from for Star Trek was the very first interracial kiss oh the, yes. the first black white kiss i think there was one with an alien first but that doesn't have the same sure. resonance right right exactly that doesn't yeah.
1: uh, that doesn't scare people as much exactly
0: <laughs> yes
1: i put lots of little bookmarks in behind a horror because again i wanted to make sure that i totally got this right do you want to hear some juicy Absolutely. stuff behind this kiss yes okay so originally in the script did you know it was for spock she I, was supposed yes, to. I did. did. And, yes. And, and a certain captain
0: decided if it was going to be history, he was going to be the one to make it.
1: Quote, if anyone's going to kiss O'Hara, he said jokingly, it's going to be me. I mean, Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is why you read quotes, because you're like, mm-hmm, I get a lot oh. of uh, <laughs> inference on that particular one. Now, OK, the day that she did the kiss, she had newly gotten married and she took her rings off and put them in a drawer and her rings were missing. So she was in this state of, where are my rings? And security, go find them on the day that they're filming this kiss. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's like her mind, you know what I mean, right now. I I think perhaps her co-star's mind was a little somewhere else. However, she was a bit worried about, where are my rings? So they're back on set. They're ready to like shoot the scene. When the director realizes this will be the first interracial kiss like not until they're on set did the director go oh crap this is history oh uh-oh. so woohoo, way to prepare so then the director started to panic William Shatner started screaming and said what the hell does it matter <laughs> <laughs> and it's like but it matters to you enough to get you know, rewrite so it's uh, anyway so yeah so that's a whole butt to impact there okay all right so the director started to panic they decided to film it two ways With a kiss and without a kiss, right? Um, So we'll go, it says, quote, we'll go right up to the kiss take and then they'll fight. Okay. They won't actually do the Mm -hmm. kiss. But of course, everybody knew what take they were actually going to use. And let's just say probably both of them flustered the non-kiss take on purpose. (laughs) So that there was really only one usable one. Any guess on how many takes the kiss was? How many times they kissed? I don't know. 36.
0: Wow! <laughs> so they did that a bunch of times. So they didn't get the non-kiss one right even once. Not even. They only did it once.
1: Oh! And it didn't even work because they started giggling and it was just <laughs> like absolutely ridiculous. Yes. Yeah, so the episode is Plato's stepchildren, right? Um, it first aired November 1968, and they really thought it was going to have this huge response. They thought that they were going to be banned in the South. <laughs> they thought they were going to be kicked off the air, but here is actually what happened. Again, according to To Nichelle, right? So it says, We received one of the largest batches of fan mail ever. All of it very positive. With one addressed to me from the girls wondering how it felt to kiss Captain Kirk. And many from the guys wondering the same thing about me. Interesting, however, one found the kiss offensive. Shortly thereafter, I received a note from Jean that read, quote, Thought you'd be interested. This is the only negative fan email or fan- oh, I said email. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. Fan mail we got and attached was a photocopy of the letter, and the letter said, I'm a white southern gentleman, and I like Star Trek, and I'm totally opposed to the mixing of the races. However, anytime a red-blooded American boy like Captain Kirk gets a beautiful dame in his arms and that looks like O'Hura, he ain't gonna fight it. <laughs> So that was the negative reaction.
0: That's fantastic. (laughs) Isn't that great? I, I have a friend who remembers that episode not airing in his town. Oh, really? Um, and, and to this day, he's angry at the Grand Old Opry because they aired oh. that instead. I'm like, mm. I'm pretty sure that's not the Grand Old Opry's
1: No, no, no. That was just the programming they had but, available at the time.
0: But yes. Right, yeah. But it was, I mean, Fair. it was a big deal, even though the reaction wasn't as dramatic as right. they expected. Right, right, right. It was still television history.
1: Right, exactly. Yes, and our gloriousness show was a part of it, as was William Shatner. Right.
0: it is right. it is. He, what it is. He yes. could have been any of a dozen people, but <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> she was the only one who could play that, uh, that part of the role.
1: This is true. Mm-hmm. And change public opinion. Change minds. Because O'Hara's character and Michelle is, she's just, she's magical. <laughs> That's probably the best way to put it. You know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely. You want to be her. You want to be with her. You want more of her. She is just enticing.
0: Yeah. Indeed. (laughs) So she made a big difference in the world as Uhura. Yes. She also made a big difference in the world as herself in her work with NASA later on. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: So this is, you know, a great a great kind of meshing of some of the things we're trying to do at Starbase India is build this future to be reality. So talk a little bit about what she did with NASA. So she was actually
1: a... NASA contractor for astronaut recruitment. Her mission was actually to recruit minorities, so we're talking about women, African-American and Asian-Americans, to the astronaut program. She is responsible for 35 applicants of color. Fred Gregory is one of her first recruitment. Sally Ride is because of her. Guy Bluford, Judy Resnick, Ron McNair, and Ellison. I always try to write it down because I always want to make sure I say it right. Onazuka, there we go. There's for, there's a lot of consonants, and I always want to like mispronounce it. But Onazuka, and she is responsible for them joining the program. Now NASA had some problems when they uh, when Nichelle decided to get involved. They had. Very much a whitewashed corps. They did not have many women included at all. Because of the Mercury 7 program and the Mercury 13 program, the Mercury 7 were the seven male astronauts that were recruited for the space missions. The Mercury 13 were the 13 women who also qualified but were not allowed to be astronauts because they couldn't fly a jet plane. And the reason why they couldn't fly a jet plane is because the Air Force was not open to women. (laughs)
0: Not that they couldn't. They may not. They were not permitted to do so. They did not have access (laughs) to military jet planes. This wasn't a cannot. This was a may not. Exactly.
1: Right. (laughs) So it was one of those things. And this was Senate hearings and things like that of trying to get uh, more women and minorities into the space program and having it be, no, we are a white boys club right now. And we're quite happy with that. Thank you. So when Nichelle was at a convention, a Star Trek convention... And there was people from NASA speaking. She was amazed by, oh, this is amazing. I love what NASA's doing. I love what NASA stands for. And she started looking around. She went, where are my people at? (laughs) Nobody looks like me. Why Why aren't there more people that look like me in NASA? So she started talking to them and got the job as the NASA recruiter. So in her time, she spent six months and $50,000, that was her budget from NASA, to go and recruit people. She was amazing on this. She went to Black conventions. She went to Asian conventions. She went to every HBC possible. She went to so many places, radio stations, television appearances. She has a very cute PSA for NASA of saying this is your NASA. And it's really cheesy, but again, it's like, you know, it's 1970s, so it's cheesy. So she was adorable, and this was only to fill these 35 jobs. NASA currently on the regular had about 1,500 applications that would come in during the application program. So if 1,500 is kind of the base that NASA always gets, how many applications do you think Nichelle generated? What's your guess? Double that. 8,600 applications came in. Wow. So almost four times. Yes. For only 35 jobs. You know what I mean? Like, that's a lot of applications for that. So if, you know, if you're like, oh, well, you know, she recruited 35 astronauts. Yes, those were the ones that were hired. But she got so many more people excited about the NASA program to literally change the face of NASA, <laughs> which is amazing. Yes. And I love her for it.
0: <laughs> and, and you know, Shatner got a lot of press recently when he was the first Star Trek actor in space. Right. But she flew missions with NASA long before he did. Mm -hmm. She just didn't go 66 miles into space. Correct. But she went for longer, right? She was on an eight-hour mission. So what do you know about the, the missions that she was a part of?
1: Not only the missions, but the training. Like, she went through full astronaut training. Before she started the application process, before she started, like, the marketing and the recruitment of it, she said, I need to know what they go through. I need to be able to answer the questions when I'm talking to somebody who's like, what does it take to be an astronaut? So she went through the simulator and the water training. She was on the Kupler C-14 astronomy observation mission. That one was an eight hour mission that she was in high altitude. In 2015, she was on the Sophia mission, which is also a high altitude mission as well. But also she's been included in a lot of NASA first. She was at JPL when the Viking lander landed on Mars. So she's been there at those, you know, historical events in NASA history because she's just so vital to the NASA program. <laughs> cheering the people on. Yes. And, yeah. Being their biggest fan. You know what I mean? In kind of an ironic, you know, MLK story. And now, mm-hmm. you know, the NASA story of being their biggest fan, the astronaut. She, she cared very deeply about them. And I don't want to be a bummer, but she has the hardest time talking about the Challenger because three of those astronauts that were on the Challenger were part of her recruitment program. One of them was Judith Resnick, which was like her best friend in the astronaut program. Judith actually gave Nichelle an award. They were so close compadres that if you see Nichelle try to talk about the Challenger, she she can't it's personal hurt that was her family her
0: friends yeah Yeah. her people
1: yeah exactly so not all sunshine and roses when it comes to you know being a cheerleader for nasa she's seen the successes and the failures and she cheers them on regardless and so
0: yeah and, you know, that's one of the things about space travel. We grew up with Star Trek and these other properties that imply that it's very easy. and right. But it's it's, it's, risky. it's it's risky. It's risky. Mm-hmm. We don't really know how to live in space. Yeah. And how do we, you know, it isn't as easy as it looks on the Enterprise. Right. And to quote Galaxy Quest, is there
1: air? You don't know.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's one of my favorites. <laughs>
0: quoting galaxy quest is always a good call absolutely yes. <laughs> i love it so did i miss any That's questions over. i should questions. have asked oh my gosh, you yes. not that i can think of
1: actually that might even be a good ending point unless you want yeah. to have any kind of like a wrap up sort of
0: thing yeah so in my head when i talk about why why star trek yeah She's her stories are one of the first ones that come some of the first ones that come to mind, right? The story with Martin Luther King Jr. and Mm -hmm. the story about the kiss. And she is the face in many ways of how this little show changed the world Mm -hmm. around it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think she makes a great kind of first episode for our little podcast.
1: Exactly. And I, I guess I just wanna say that she was far more than just a just a person sitting in a chair. And I think it's so easy to think that. And I think at times she might have thought that, that I'm just a person in a chair. You know what I mean? I'm just sometimes literally a red shirt. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. but she was so much more than that. She stood for so much more than that. And there was the potential on the show. I think we all knew it. I think she knew it. There was the potential to be so much more. But as politics got in the way. And I think as we evolve and as we see the new Star Trek movies and how kind of the character of Uhura has um, evolved within the the multiverse, if you will. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She's getting to fly a ship (laughs) in the animated show. She's getting to have her glorious kiss with Spock. You know what I mean? Like, she's getting to see these things. I mean, granted, it is Zoe now that is playing the character. But we still get to see it. And we still, I think... Feel Nichelle Nichols' presence and her fingerprint on this character, regardless. So, even though she could feel at times she was sitting in a chair, she was defining what that chair is and kind of encouraging all of us to kind of like sit with her. You know what I mean? She was hailing frequencies were open.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great place to end. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Starbase Indie Podcast. You can find more information about what we're up to in terms of the podcast and also in terms of our event over Thanksgiving weekend at starbaseindie.org.